So smallbusinesstogrow.com. I'm here today with Al Liebman. Al is a seasoned sales professional. He currently is an ad executive with racingjunk.com, which is very heavily slanted towards, if not outright smack dab in the middle of the motorsports sports and automotive industry. If you are into anything motorsport and you've never been on racingjunk.com, definitely check them out. Uh, I wanted to chat with Al uh, for a couple of reasons. Namely, he's been doing the thing we call sales for a long time in multiple industries. And I, I believe he's good at it. So I think he has a lot to share. So the Al, when did you get started? Uh, I got started in sales, I would say probably um, early 80s. Um, about 1983-84, I got into the telecommunication industry. Um, I got into that by mistake. Uh, I was designing heat exchangers before for a Swedish company, and I applied for a job selling telephones. Uh, I went to an agency, uh, and they said, what do you know about telephones? I said, you picked the phone up and you got dial tone. And she says, you're a good candidate. <laughs> At that point, I figured, all right, let me see what happens. So I uh, went to a... Uh, NEC Associates, um, which was selling telephones, which was a business telephone systems at that time, in about 1984. And uh, I said, I want a job as a selling telephones. I said, what do you know about telephones? I said, you, you picked the phone up and you got dial tone. They said, okay, you're good. I think we can, you know, we'll start you out as a, you know, lower executive, whatever you want to call it. And I can always remember uh, the gentleman's name. His name was Bill Giuliano. And he, he kind of looked at me and he said, you know, we have an office in New Jersey and New York, but you're, you're big. I'm, I think I want to send you to New York. Well, that was his worst mistake he ever made in his life. Uh, because I killed every record, every time, every contest that the uh, NEC associate, the dealer did, I won. Uh, I was just uh, steamrolling over everybody, I guess. And it, it's kind of interesting. So you didn't have, it's not like you had this formal background in education in telecom. Yet here you are, you have a job in a major urban market, New York, no less, and yep. you're breaking records. How does that happen? Well, you know, to be in New York, you got you get a lot of doors slammed on you pretty quick. And they uh, don't give you a lot of time. Uh, I learned very quickly to, you know, learn enough about the product to be dangerous. And then when I went to see people, um, I wasn't selling a product. Uh, I was selling myself and I was selling a, a service but how my service can improve their business. But during the same time, you know, at that time, the people were changing phone systems and, you know, dial tone was going in and out at a particular time and everybody wanted to get away from um, dealing with the phone companies. I learned that a customer, I needed to know more about the customer. So the customer became my friend. Uh, I wanted to see what was in their office. And I think I mentioned this a few times. So if I, I remember this one gentleman I went to see, this big investment firm. I looked around the wall and, has a lot of horses and he had pictures of boats, whatever. And I said, yeah, that's a pretty nice boat. Is that a, you know, XYZ boat? And he goes, no, that's a so-and-so. So I got off the conversation of that. I want to sell you something. Now I want to know, learn more, learn about what you do, hobbies, whatever. And it's always been, a, um, I guess, a good fit for me. So, it, it, and I think that from a sales standpoint, a lot of times, especially people new to sales, the, the ones that are excited about it, the ones that are maybe a little cocky, a little arrogant, 
they kind of come barnstorming through the door and they just want to throw their pitch out there and close the deal. But you kind of slowed things down, took a step back and said, Hey, I want to get to know the individual in this office. And then maybe see if I can help solve some of their problems. Would that, would that kind of be the approach? Yeah, that was it. And then, you know, we kind of talk about, you know, uh, you know, hobbies, what do I do? Where do you live? Whatever. You got to remember, we did not have in the early eighties, we did not have, um, internet. We didn't have very few people had cell phones at that particular time. So most of the time was, you know, calling them, going back, seeing them again with proposals. Nothing like I can send you a chat. I can send you an instant message. I can send you, you know, we did most of our work via fax then. So in, in back then, I mean, and that's a good point too, is were you physically going office building to office building then in calling on executives or calling on individuals yeah now i made it my business that i would never call call and i still don't do that after you know being in this industry too uh i make sure that my reference i should say my customers become friends they tell other people um I, you know join different organizations networking groups and stuff like that to knock to go knock on a door and say hi i'm here to sell you advertising i'm here to sell you a phone system i'm here to sell you a vacuum to me that doesn't cut it okay so you kind of went the much more successful and I, and I would even say professional route, which is get to know the individuals first, join the, the groups, the organizations, and then rely on referrals, which is hands down, regardless exactly. of industry, the, the best way to get new business and leads. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and then unlike today where you would, maybe close a deal by telephone, maybe close a deal by email, maybe a common combination or, or text or chat back then. So you were physically meeting, writing up a quote and then meeting again and probably formally presenting the quote to the potential customer. Yes, I, you know, presenting the quote, making sure everything was okay. Had it went back with the um, people from the office, if there are other customer service people, I was also there on the installations, which a lot of uh, customers never seen that in any kind of industry, even if somebody was selling more copier. Uh, you know, the guy says, I bought a copier from Manalta, and I can't believe that the sales guy came back when he installed the copier. So I would kind of come back on the installation and make sure everything was okay. And, and that's probably an easy way to, one, make sure that whatever you promise the customer is delivered. So you don't exactly. rely on, okay, your, your hands are, are washed to the project. You, you got the deal done. And now maybe the, the installation team drops the ball and, and you have no idea. So it gives you a way to kind of make, make sure it's done right. But then from personal experience, I mean, I approach sales early in my career that way as well Is you know, you're, if you're doing things, your customers aren't willing to do, you automatically have a leg up on your competitor. No, I, I agree. And, you know, even when I was working for NEC distributors and then I ended up working for NEC themselves, you know, the line was, we'll get the order and then we'll take care of the rest. That, that never cuts it. And it doesn't cut it for me now what I do with Internet Brands and Racing Junk. I want to make sure that my customers get everything from A to Z and then I want to give them more. And, and, and I think, you know, uh, full disclosure, so, so people understand that are seeing this, like I bought ad space from Al, that's how I met Al. 
Um, and that's why I'd say he is a good salesperson. And from experience, I would say that, that you do show up, you do make sure that the customer experience is right and that things are delivered as expected. And I, I think that that's a, from a sales standpoint, that, that's a huge shortcoming of many companies because a sales organization sees it as their job is just close the deal and move on and then let exactly. someone else in. When you're the salesperson that steps in and says, well, hey, I'm, I'm just checking in. Are, are you happy? You know, did, did things go as expected? And if not, how can I help? I think sometimes that definitely from a sales standpoint, that leads to more sales because you're, you might be the only guy that showed up and said, hey, I want to make sure this is right. And your competitor may not. And they might say, you know what? These guys haven't gotten back to us. We don't know what's going on. We haven't seen our salesmen since we gave them yep. the check or since we wired the money. Uh, boom, you get the business or extra business. I, I've had people, you know, I think I mentioned before, years ago, they didn't buy, you know, telecommunications equipment from me. Six months, a year, two years later, they come back and they said, I should have bought from you in the first place. Yes, you guys, you might have been a little higher. NEC might have been a little higher. But, you know, the professionalism, you followed up after even when he said, uh, when Bob said, I'm sorry, I can't do business with you. You know, your price is good, but I got to go with this brand. No problem. I don't have any, I don't have a hard time. If, you, if I can be of any help, you know, let me know, refer me, whatever. These people come back sometimes and like, you know, I should have, would have, could have. And, and I think like we, we tell clients this, it, when you're not the least expensive in your industry or in your market, it's not a bad thing. And sometimes it really becomes a true competitive advantage because that potential customer may go buy from your competitor at a lower price um, and have a, a poor experience. And it really reinforces the value that you get to deliver, even if it might be at a higher price point. Oftentimes that customer comes back, like you just said, and they're like, hey, I, I should have done this with you. And, and now they've kind of got some experience. So they're like, you know what? You get what you pay for. And, and that other company just didn't deliver. Well, you know, the thing we mentioned also is, you know, trying, you don't know everything. I did not go to school for telecommunications engineering. I learned a lot, you know, from the street, from being out and, you know, working with my engineers. So don't be afraid to tell somebody, you know, and that's one of my don'ts. Uh, don't be afraid to tell somebody, I'll get back to you with the answer. In, in the phone industry, I used to tell people, I might not know the difference between it. Uh, a, uh, an omen and a, and, a, and a watt, but guess what? I'm going to get you the answer in a timely fashion. And that's what they want to hear. You can't be, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Peabody and know it all on everything that when they ask you a question, that's the biggest thing. And we, we had had years ago, my, my first real sales job, uh, we, we had had a customer and I'll share the name of the customer and they're, they're no longer privately held, but it was Weber Stevens. And, and most people that are hearing this podcast or watching this webcast will know that name as the Weber Grill Company. And yeah. uh, we were supplying Weber Grill and I was just a sales engineer. So I was standing there with our sales director and a principal of our company and the Weber Stevens people. And we had had a problem and the problem was on us. We couldn't deliver what we said. And the Weber Stevens group with many expletives, wanted to know why we showed them 
and told them we could deliver something we could not deliver. So it's a, what you just said, if you don't know the answer or you're not sure, don't make a promise you can't deliver because it could cost you significantly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so, so back, back when you were getting started, how are you managing your contacts? Did you have a, a Rolodex? Like I, I know when I started out, I had a Rolodex <laughs> and then I had a card box. Like, how are you managing your contacts? Well, you got to remember, we, we had cell phones at that point, And sometimes they were the, the big Motorola ones you stuck in your back pocket that stood about eight or nine inches tall, or you had the flip phone. So it was, uh, you know, business, a business card folder, um, business card file, uh, Rolodex. Um, you know, we had post-it notes, I guess. That was the beginning of the post-it notes. So that was it. Uh, I think we also had something called Tickler file. Uh, so we used to be able to put different notes, but we didn't have a we didn't have much on a computer to use as like you know Outlook calendar and stuff like that. So we just had to go by the seat of our pants and say, boy, I got to call this guy back Tuesday. I better put this note somewhere else so I can find it on my desk. So if you look at back then, and and that's another kind of I mean that's significant. Today you could use technology. You can put an appointment to follow up, write an outlook or whatever calendar you're using. And is it easier today to manage some of that stuff? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's like I said, you can, you can be a brain scientist just by spending an hour on YouTube. Okay. We didn't have YouTube or if we had it, it was very limited. So we really didn't know on, you know, how to make some of this stuff work. So I, the ability now where somebody going into sales, uh, they can find everything that they need in five minutes and schedule everything they need in, you know, 10 minutes. How's that? And, and you were back back then, it was literally pen, paper, and put a note on your desk and hope it doesn't get knocked off, buried, or whatever, moved, lost. Sometimes you, sometimes you, sometimes you wrote on the palm of your hand, you know, like that. It, uh, when, whatever, whatever it took. How's that? Got it. And so you also mentioned doors being slammed. And when I interviewed for my first sales position the director of sales that was the first question he asked and it was really the only thing he cared about was how do you feel about being told no and re being rejected over and over again right so so back then how did you look at that because it, it's i mean you were successful so i'm guessing the the being told no and the door slam didn't matter but what was your mindset how, how did you look at that well, I was very busy in New York and also New Jersey and stuff like that before I went to NEC. So, you know, selling for different NEC distributors. Um, the no was like, okay, time to move on. In the beginning, it was like, you know, what did I do wrong? Uh, you know, wh what what was the issue that's making this making this particular individual say no to me? How do I make the next one say yes? Um, like I said, I try to be... I make it an easy sale. I don't want to be pushy about anything. You know, I don't want to start pushing things. Well, if you sign, you know, you buy today and you sign today, you can save 20 or 30 or 40% off. That, that, that was never my style. Just, I just moved on and, you know, made some more phone calls. I called other people, you know, who, who needs, you know, who needs a phone system? I heard this company's moving. Because you got to remember, back in the 80s and 90s, businesses were moving all the time. And they didn't want to take their old equipment with them. So it was always time for them to, you know, upgrade and replace. So that it, so there was work, but back, I mean, that 
moving on, that's probably one of the reasons people struggle in sales. Even business owners that, that we consult with, they get hung up on. They're like, well, I'm not sure why they're not interested. And my answer right. is usually like, well, let's move on to the next lead because whatever the, it, maybe it's just not the right time. And like, to your point, if you're a good person and you do good, honest business in six, seven, nine months, they might come looking for you, but let's not waste our time and resources on them. Let's go out and make an investment in that next lead. And let's try and create that next opportunity in business relationship. But a lot of folks really struggle with that. They want to keep coming back to you, but why didn't they buy from you? And the answer is, I don't know why they didn't buy today. Let's, did you ask? And if you asked and they gave you an answer, all right, let's move on. You know, I, I had that recently um, with with a used car salesman or a car salesman. Um, you know, they wanted to put me into this other particular car. And I said, no. And they kept coming back and back. And I said, look, I decided I was going to, you know, buy somewhere else. They came back seven or eight times to me with like, well, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. Let me get my salesman. I said, look, I already purchased another car. I, I don't need, you know, thank you very much for your time. But sometimes some people become too aggressive. And that was never my, never my style then and not my style now. So you have to just, you know, move on. When someone says no, you know, send a thank you. Uh, don't be embarrassed to say, you know, thank you for your time. If I can be of assistance or be in business, you know, for you next time, let me know. That goes a long way also, especially yeah. now with, you know, uh, emails and, you know, texts and whatever. You know, it's a lot easier these days. In, in that car experience you had, I mean, it made that, you know, if, if you were looking at a Chevrolet and decided you were buying a Honda, it, you know, you went down the Chevrolet path and for whatever reason, you didn't like it. And right. it, maybe it was just the available models. But now that that dealership, that if if it were a Chevy store, and I'm just making this up, we don't need to get into the brands, but it, it that Chevy store, that particular store, you're probably never going back again. And, and yeah. there, was, there was nothing they could do to earn your business. It could have just been, hey, you know what? I like the Honda, period. I, I, I'm a big guy. I fit better in it. And yeah. it's comfortable, <laughs> you know? And, yep. Yep. and that's it. Uh, and now, instead, they've kind of probably cost the opportunity to ever earn their business. Yeah, I agree. I agree with a thousand percent. And again, that all goes down to their management. The management skills telling their employees, don't give up or don't say no. Don't let them say no. Um, I've always said that to my, you know, my superiors, my boss, whatever, I said, you're really not my boss. My boss is my, my boss is the customer. And I have to make sure the customer is happy all the time. And that goes a long way. In, in that, I mean, that goes a long way today in, in what I call the short game. You know, are, are you going to get the deal today? Because if you have a, a corporate culture or a, a pushy sales manager, you will use the, the car dealership. If the sales manager is really pushing the sales folks to just not take no, right. yep. you're not going to make a decision in the best interest of your customer. And at the end of the day, the customer making a purchase is contributing to your wages. So you, you really have to, you, you need to balance that. And I think there's a lot of opportunities for businesses. Uh, one, you need you, you need to give your sales department training. And a lot of times they don't. They're like, oh, we hired someone for sales. They've never done sales. They don't understand sales. But 
they need training, but then also you got to set a culture that is going to be okay with putting the customer first. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and I think, uh, how many times is that executive management ownership? Are they actually like in the car dealership? Are, are they on the lot or in the showroom talking to the customer? Not very often. So it's probably best to let the salesperson kind of steer the ship a little bit. Well, you know, then they, when you're dealing with a car person, it's like, well, let me bring my sales manager over. Look, I know what I want. I know what I want to buy. This is what my, I want to spend. You don't have to bring the sales manager over and the owner of the dealership. I understand that's your job. Okay. You did a great job, but unfortunately I'm moving on. You know, I'm looking at something else. I've never had that. Uh, and again, not to say anything about against, you know, car dealerships, but I think that if I ever had to get a job, I'd have to shoot myself ever before I become a car dealer or salesman. That's the worst thing to get in. And, and I think that that, that highlights underscores and bullet points an opportunity for folks in that space that are in that industry to do something different. Uh, ironically, I, one of the first webcasts we did is with an executive GM today. Uh, and he was between jobs, different mm -hmm. brands, had a 30-day period where he just needed work. So he went and got a job at a car dealership and like I hired this guy to work with my staff because he's phenomenal at building a corporate culture. And because he gets the culture of the employees, right. Sales go to the moon. And, and we're talking the guy, you know, this is somebody that manages eight figure business. Mm -hmm. So tens of millions in revenue. Right. And he went and gets, yeah. gets a job at a car dealership. And the dealer is like, we're, you're not going to make any money being here for 30 days. Well, he set a dealer record and sold mm -hmm. most cars that month. And part of it was he didn't behave like everybody else did. He behaved as exactly. if yeah. everybody coming in was like his mom. You know, hey, she's a she's a small, she's not a large individual. She doesn't fit in this large car. She can't climb up into a large car. So I'm not going to push it on her. <laughs> no, um, I know. But it's it, it's it's interesting that there's a lot of opportunity to get better at at sales when we put, like you said, the customer in that position as boss. And like I said, you got to remember, we talked about this, you know, now the new people coming into sales, they have all the electronic tools, so they can do everything much quicker than I did, you know, back in the eighties and nineties before we had all these tools. And that's where, and that brings up a good point because we have relationships. And that was the biggest thing that I had with my customers that I sold telecommunications equipment with NEC. And even when I went to work for NEC for 14 years as a um, channel sales manager that handled a lot of accounts, uh, it was always a relate. I always find relationship sales. Um, when I got out of the telecommunication industry and went to a couple other places and I dabbled in, the deal was like, just sell the job and move on. Don't worry about relationships. That's, uh, you know, it didn't work. It didn't work afterwards, but relationships, what I have now working for internet brands and racing junk, because my relationship has, and my, my sales have brought customers like yourself. And over a period of two years, over 125 new accounts. And, and, and let's, let, let's segue into that. But in one of the questions I have, where does frantic Ford fit into this? 
Well, that's one of my, my hobbies and passion and, and love, I guess. I've been around um, drag racing um, professionally for probably 45, 48 years. Uh, when I got out of high school, uh, went, when I was in college, going to school, went to California, came back, and I got involved with uh, funny cars. Uh, and I got hooked, hook, line, and sinker over the past years. And I've been partners with many cars and have gotten away from it, and now I'm involved with a few other cars. But my hobby that is the full-time job, besides my uh, hot rodding, has brought, a, has brought a lot of business to internet brands and racing junk because of the type of people that I deal with and they like what I do. So they, you know, they always like, Hey, what do you do? What do you do for a hobby? Or you tell somebody, Hey, you know, I'm not going to be around this weekend. I'm going horseback riding or in your case, Ray, I'm going, you know, I'm going to go take a ride in my, you know, uh, my motocross. And someone said, wow, tell me about that. So that's where you get away from selling the item itself. And then you talk about selling yourself and becoming friends with your, with your potential customer. And that's like, we, we teach it when, when I consult with a business, that's one of the things that, that I tell them in regards to sales. And even when, when I had my own brick and mortar business and I had physical employees and I use that as an example because selling brick and mortar is different than just doing everything high volume over the internet. And what I would, what I would teach is this, everybody likes to buy from their friends and nobody likes to be sold. So the relationships come first. And in your case, that's what I like the, the drag racing piece. And for those right. that aren't into motorsports, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I can't relate, but stick with us because the motorsports piece is, is from the outside looking in for me is where you get those relationships and those relationships feed internet brands and racing junk. Right. And, you know, besides the, the, you know, the motorsports, the, the hot rodding, you know, the radio show that I do now, it's, you know, people might not say, well, you know, I'm not a big drag racer. I'm a, I'm a you know, a road racer or, um, you know, off-road. Hey, so tell me about your off-road. Tell me about your motorcycle, what you guys like to do. And then it kind of be, you know, everything becomes, uh, it goes in a circle. It's like, well, you know, where are you going to be? Where are you racing? Uh, you know, can I come to see you guys and stuff like that? So, you know, it's more of a, like I said, now he be, the, the client became your friend. And, and that's where it, you know, that I think that that long play, what I call the long play, that's where you really can start to build a brand in a business because your friends are, are going to do, to your point, you've never been big on cold calling. Those referrals are huge your friends are going to be inclined to refer people to you. That car dealership that seven, eight, nine times was still convinced that you should buy from them, even though you didn't like what they were selling. You're never yep. going to refer anybody there. And that's that, nope. that long play is significant by making an investment to build relationships. So Great. yes, the motorsports industry in interest feeds what you currently do. I think there's no question the NEC time and telecom kind of gave you a tuition in sales. It gave you a legitimate oh, resume that was, I mean, back in the, in the eighties and nineties, everybody had a, a phone and every office had a phone system with, you know, there was every cubicle, every office had a phone. It was all, 
hardwired into the system and somebody had to sell that company, that system. And really without it, you couldn't communicate. Like you couldn't talk to a different department in the office. You know, you have 200 employees, you you needed to have those phone systems. So that's a, having sold in that industry is a big deal. Um, So, you know, we go away from the industry or we throw still in the telecom when it changed so much, when it went to, you know, voice over IP internet systems, and people say, well, I don't need a phone system anymore. I have my cell phone. So that whole, you know, industry kind of went away. And you got to remember, back then, we were dealing with office managers, communications managers. They were the people that I would, you know, sell to and deal with, you know, on a daily basis. Those jobs went away. So now it all falls under somebody else, the phone, the copier, you know, the IT, and especially in the IT. Since it goes into the IT world, the IT guy has no, uh, no time for you. Uh, and again, I'm getting off a little bit. He has no time for you because his network is first. So, and the IT guy usually after, you know, three to four years, he's changed jobs. He's going someplace else. And in, in, in that too, I think it's worth pointing out that, it, you know, every business has its cycle. Every industry has its cycle. And it, it doesn't mean that you're going down with the proverbial ship. You know, uh, voice over IP was replacing the hardline telephones. And then today, I mean, the, the cell phone, the mobile devices yeah. probably replaced a lot of those. It doesn't mean that you're, if you're really good at sales, you've got a skill that applies to many industries. And if you've got relationships, you can go and leverage your sales skills with your relationships and continue to work in another industry. And in your case, that's, that's exactly what you've done. So you kind of leverage those, the motorsports background, those relationships to sell in the motorsports world. Um, but one, one question I have, so back in the eighties and nineties, what was your, did you have a company car? Uh, company car. Sometimes they did, but most of the time we had an allowance of like, you know, $400. Sometimes they were giving you, you know, $400 a month with no taxes taken out and stuff like that. And what were you driving? Nothing exotic. Um, no big hot rods then because I really, quote unquote, you know, in the phone industry, I wasn't that much uh, into hot rods. I didn't get into that until about, you know, 2000. So I know, I think, uh, oh, I know what I had. I, had, I drove a couple Saabs. Uh, very unique car. I don't know why I liked them. Didn't see a lot of them on the road, but it was something different. Okay. Yeah. I had my, I got, I think it was 600 bucks a month, no taxes taken out, um, which was great. And I, I had a requirement that I had to have room for five adults. It had to be four door. And I, well, they they didn't say four door. They said it this way. I needed room for four or five adults and it couldn't be some sports car because they already knew what they were getting with me. Like, they're like, you're not, (laughs) we're giving you the money. You're buying what we tell you and it's going to have room for five and no, no sporty. And they said no sporty two door. So it was a four door. Um, But then if we look at back then versus now and, and I, and I'll throw an image over the video at this point. Everybody that's watching will be able to see it. What's your What's your sales vehicle today? Uh, Honda Passport. 
I want something uh, reliable. I've been a Honda guy for probably 12 to 15 years. Um, I usually don't buy them. I lease them. And I've had very good experience where, you know, within a uh, less than a three-year period, they call me back. They want my car back. They give me a new set of keys, a new car, and the same payment. And what, what about the red car? Because I'm interested in the oh, red, the red car. car. Yeah, we can mention the red car, the 32 Ford. So, yeah, that's the car that uh, I drive a lot. Um, it's 32 Ford. It's a old hot rod with a small block Chevy. It's got a lot of history. For a 500 car in its life, uh, which is unique about it, I get to, I take it on sales calls which are, uh, when I work at, for working for Racing Junk. So I'll drive with, you know, 100, 125 miles with it to go see customers. And, uh, you know, I get out of the car and they look at it or whatever. I said, you want to go to, you know, or get you want to go to lunch? And they said, uh, sure. I come up and they said, hey, who's Hot Rod's out? I said, it's mine. They said, man, you drove it all the way here. I said, yeah. So, uh, you know, I get to drive what I want these days. In, 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 so you're, you're driving it. A 91-year-old, and for the car folks 90, out there. 90 years old next year, yes. 90-year-old, all-steel right. Henry Ford automobile, yep. the sales calls, which yep. is incredible. So this isn't, a, this isn't a fiberglass. It's not a plastic car. No, it's a real no, deal no. stamped by Henry Ford, a uh, steel body car. And, and, getting what, paid, and getting paid 60 cents a mile or 58, 59 cents a mile. Which is even better. And, and the, the reason I wanted to bring that up is, is one, I'm a car guy, but two, from a business standpoint, to the business owners out there, kind of back to what Al said before, where, where that customer is the boss, it, it may not make sense. And, and this won't make sense for every, every industry, but you may think as the owner or the management that it doesn't make sense to have this guy, Al, rolling around in this old hot rod. But what that hot rod is doing is, to your point, it's establishing rapport. It's a conversation yep. piece that allows exactly. the sales professional to go and build that relationship. And and I don't well, think I don't think a hot that does that. No, it doesn't. And you got to remember the you know the industry, the clientele that I'm dealing with now are you know restoration shops, uh, guys that build you know hot rods, muscle cars race cars so when they see something like this and i go see him for the first time or i see him you know second or third time it's always a smile on the face if you know what i'm saying and you're 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 instantly one of them that's you're in you know you're you're one of you're you're seen as a as a colleague as a peer as a friend instead of a salesman that shows up in a black corridor exactly yes sales come Sales come after the friendship and the relationship, and how can I help you? And that's and that's kind of the the point I want to make to to some of the owners or executives out there. Like, really, in in, in Al's case, it makes a lot of sense for him to drive up in that car because of the industry he's in. Um, there may be something similar yet different in your industry where if you, you have a sales professional and they want to do that, give them the leeway to do that. Cause remember what Al said. I mean, we we're, we're taking advice from somebody that's got a couple decades of professional sales experience here that that salesperson might be telling you they want to do something. Cause it's going to help them build that relationship and that's going to get you the sales. And that's, 
I think I I think that that's huge. Even one of the sales jobs that I interviewed four years ago, the uh, sales manager of that particular company, we I was interviewing in a Chicago suburb, and one of his accounts was Caterpillar down in Peoria, Illinois. So it was a few yeah. hours away, and there were a few months of the year where he went down to Peoria once a week and he bowled in a bowling league with a team of Caterpillar employees. Caterpillar, sure. So these guys became his friends and he went down there every week during the bowling season and bowled with them. And that was him making the investment in, in those relationships. And yeah, they were his friends and I'm sure they drank beer and, and back at that point in time, they probably smoked cigarettes and whatever, and they bowled. But at the end of the day, not that he he was doing it just to make sales, but indirectly that led to significant sales with a company like Caterpillar. Well, you know, like I said, you you have to you know know the, the business, know the individual, and how you could gel with that individual. If it's bowling, if it's again, I'm not a golfer. If it's playing golf. Uh, and especially, you know, before in the communication industry, that was very big with the golf. And I didn't have time for golf. So I was too busy selling and racing. Uh, you have to, you know, know, know what they like and be part of their life. And that's, that's significant. Unfortunately, I, too, was not a big fan of golf. And there were a few times where I was outright ordered that I had to golf. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a that, that gave me a kind of took away some opportunities for me, but it's significant. It matters. Now, at the time we're doing this webcast, those that are going to watch it or listen to a podcast down the road, you don't know this, but it's a Sunday. And one of the questions I have for you, Al, is knowing it's a Sunday going into a Monday, like what do you have planned for your week? How do you structure going to work? Well, being able to work at home or home office, which I've been doing now for probably 17 years, um, and you could probably attest to it a little bit, Ray, I really don't have hours. My hours are um, start at 5 in the morning. It can go at 10 o'clock at night sometimes, and it can be on a Sunday like right now. Um, I know what I have to do, you know, starting this week, especially because we have, you know, SEMA coming up in Las Vegas and PRI. So I have a lot of catch-up to work to do for that. Uh, we just closed the month. We closed our, our third quarter. So I have the fourth quarter coming up. So I have to get forecast. Uh, I have a bunch of renewals like yourself. When I signed you guys back a few months ago, I have to follow up on that. So uh, it, it's a busy, you know, usually when I start on a Monday morning, I mean, uh, you know, I'm done, you know, probably dinner time, whatever. And I'm going to jump back on at night, do a bunch of other email stuff, some racing stuff, whatever. And next thing I know, it's already Friday. And, and I think the, um, I guess the lesson or again, back to that small business owner that's looking to build a sales department or sales team. If you're really going to trust your sales people to sell, I had this issue about 20 years ago, a company approached me, they want me to work there and they want me to come to the office every day. And I said, no. And they said, and the owner said, well, I want you here. Cause I don't, how do I know you're not just stealing money from me? And I was like, well, if I, if I don't bring in new business, I don't bring leads in and I'm not bringing quotes in and I'm not closing some of them at the end of 36 or 90 days, fire me. 
but sales doesn't, it doesn't end. It's not a, you're not going into a proverbial factory and pulling a lever for eight hours a day. You know, like you're doing this with me today. Um, and there may be customers this week that if they're a shop, a restoration shop, maybe that owner is, is literally hands-on in the shop and oh, he's yeah. going to wash his All hands and he's going to call you at six o'clock his time at night. You don't get to, in sales, you don't get to say, well, I, I you know, I work eight to four 30. I'll call you tomorrow. Well, well that customer is going to be working at that time. Well, you know, I've seen that in all industries where sales and work, you know, nine to five. That's it. Uh, since the at-home work, the nine to five to me doesn't exist anymore. I can remember when I was calling on these particular clients, um, you know, around the NEC days, and I'd go into the office. I was like, where's Bob? He's out to lunch. He's having breakfast. He's having a cigarette break, whatever, or he's not at his desk. And then I talked to Bob, and Bob says, you know, we had a snowstorm and I worked at home this week and you're not going to believe how much work I got done being at home. Not saying that you have to be at home to work all the time. Just after saying that I think the nine to five quote unquote sales job, if you're a nine to five sales job guy, you're not going to make it in any industry. You have to be flexible with your hours. And if somebody says, you know, Hey, I, you know, I, I can't call you until seven o'clock. Take that call at seven o'clock. It goes a long way. And that, that goes back to, uh, again, the, putting the customer in the position of boss. Like you can't, if, if you're going to be in sales or you're going to grow your organization in your business, which means you're bringing salespeople on, you, you have to remember that the goal of sales is to solve a customer's problem. And that doesn't entail solving it when it's convenient for you. You know, customers are going to see right. value when you're available when they need you. Exactly. No, you, you, you hit it. You hit it a thousand percent on that one. And, and I, I mean, I fought that in, and I think with, with COVID now, a lot of businesses have kind of relaxed. They backed off on the idea that they need people sitting in cubicles and in offices in, at the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, they're starting to realize that if you're in business, the goal is revenue. And then at, at the bottom line, profit off of the revenue. And if that's happening, it doesn't matter if your staff is in Timbuktu, at home in their office, or parked in a cubicle in the corporate office. Oh, you, like I said, you, you, these days you could be anywhere, you know, it, it proven, I think a few weeks ago, I told you, we, uh, we had a race up in, uh, Lebanon Valley Dragway, uh, with, with the frantic Ford, uh, time I left there, I had three new clients and I, and I had two clients there that I do business with that I spend time with them asking them how your business is and how can I help you with your business? And like I said, they're not used to this. They're used to somebody coming in. Selling, I don't care if it's a machine, you know, a widget machine, uh, paper goods, take the order and run. And in, in, in there again, I mean, historically, people would look at you going to the drag strip if you were their employee and saying, Al, you need to, you need to, do you have time available to take off to go racing, Al? And, and the reality of it is Al goes racing, hangs out with two customers that are probably happy to hang out. 
and picks up three more. Like there's, there's no downtime and off time and no need to put in for some vacation time because you're still out there making existing customers happy and then engaging some new ones and, and then hopefully closing, closing the deal on three of those new ones. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think I told you that before, Ray. Um, I probably have the best job in the world. You know, I have a hobby and a passion that I've been involved with my whole life, and now I get paid for it. Um, I have a particular customer that I met at a, at a big street rod show in Louisville in August. I uh, stopped by their booth, introduced myself. I gave him my card. I told him I'd follow up. Uh, I told him when I head up to their area up in Charlotte, I'd go to see them. Uh, made a couple of calls, went up to see them. Uh, signed an order with them, uh, did a shop stop. I think I told you what I do with a lot of hot rod shops. And when I was leaving, we were, we were I should say, when I was leaving, while I was there, we were talking about some of my racing stories and stuff like that. And I was leaving, and I said, you know, when I come back up again, uh, I want to stop by and, you know, see if you need help with, you know, your ads and how can I help you, uh, you know, grow your business a little bit more. He said, no, nah, I'm okay with that. I just want you to come back up. I want to hear more about your stories. And that, and, and again, back to that relationship piece, that's so important. And it's, it, if you, if you were to have started out with trying to sell anything, that relationship wouldn't happen. Right. And that's, exactly. I think that that's crazy. And so in today, like your, your shop tour, so you do get in the car and you do drive and physically visit customers and hopeful customers right that's part of your your routine Mm -hmm. so i will um like next week i'm making another trip to charlotte which charlotte area mooresville which i usually do sometimes once or twice a month uh i go visit a bunch of existing customers i have i'll just walk in sometimes i'll call them i'll say was in the neighborhood is everything okay they help you they might have some questions they might need some help with some ads they might want to do some additional advertising and then other times I just go into a particular, you know, it could be a hot rod restoration shop. It could be a race car shop. Um, say I'm in a neighborhood. I was referred by, you know, Bob or whatever. And Bob told me I can come by and take a look at what you have. And I tell him what I do, what I call my shop stops, which I've done so far this year, 40 of them, 40 different places, which is a lot. And the shop stop um, goes online on hot rod hotline and racing junk. And then at the same time while I'm there, I'm talking about how can I sell services to your ad to our customers and usually it's about uh 80 20 that i'll get somebody to give me business after a shop stop and so you're you're going into the shop and i know you're taking pictures and whatnot so you're sharing that content even though they they haven't bought any advertising so you're providing them some value right off of Right, right from the beginning, you're, you're one. You're not leading with, "Hey, buy something from me." Um, you're building that relationship, but when you're building the relationship, you're taking pictures and video and and sharing it. And is if somebody owns a brick and mortar business, like when I own my brick and mortar, if someone showed up and said, "Hey, uh, I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm I'm so and so," and had a conversation, engaged me with what my interests were and whatever. If they wanted to take pictures of my operation and share it, I'm going to say yes. Like, wait a minute. I don't care if you've got 10 friends on social media. It's 10 people <laughs> right. that are going to see my, this is, and I don't have to buy it. I mean, so, and what I'm trying to say there is 
that's so important, you know, just like the relationships is be willing to provide value first. Look to give of yourself first before you look to try and take their money and close a sale. And that goes really far with with leading to an eventual sale and then building a long-term relationship. Sales will always come afterwards. You've got to remember that. Yep. And and the other thing is, you know, there you're you're actively spending time revisiting with, checking in on your existing customers. So if you go on a shop tour, you're going to stop in and see some of the shops that maybe they've been long-term customers and you don't need to go there to get their business. You got it, but you're still making that investment. Right. And they, and they ask like, wow, I'm okay. Like, you know, why are you here? Well, you know, I want to make sure you're happy. Just, you know, seeing you. And even if they have an issue, sometimes, you know, you might've catch them on a bad day where they had an issue with, or maybe a customer or something. Maybe they want to see a different face or friendly face, whatever. Maybe they need somebody like you, um, that they could blow off steam. Uh, it goes a long way. In, in that, like companies I consult with, a lot of times they want to focus on just getting new business and new customers, new leads and all of that stuff. And, and that's fine. That, that's part of scaling and growing your business. I, that's an important part of business growth. But one of the questions I always ask is, you know, what systems do you have in place to Maintain the relationship with your existing customers. Like what system do you have in place to periodically make a phone call, send an email and stop in and follow up? Because it's a lot easier to grow your business by solving more problems for your friends than trying to go out and just get new leads all the time. And many businesses don't have, they don't have a system in place. They don't have like their sales team doesn't, you know, they don't have a plan and not that a a percent of time matters, but they never look at their week and say, I'm just going to check in with people that are already customers and make sure they're happy and things are going well. And and you're doing that. Right. Well, we use, you know, we use Salesforce and, you know, Salesforce is, uh, you know, either love it or hate it sometimes. Uh, So you can do follow-ups, let you know when you need to do a, you know, a renewal or if I need a follow-up or if I need to send another piece of information out to another client, it will, you know, let me know uh, know, next Tuesday or next Wednesday I need to do it. But a lot of stuff that I do, uh, it's by the seat of my pants. It's by looking at a, I don't know, 150 business cards that I have on a a desk or a wall. And I just look at these names and I'm like, you know, I'm I'm heading back to, South Carolina. I'm heading back to New Jersey. So I know I'm going to be in New Jersey and I think I'm going to be there for three days so I can hit these 11 places and just, you know, go in and stop and say hi and, you know, and then say, hey, any more business? And they'll, they'll tell you, yeah, I call my buddy Bob or, you know, call this particular company. They're, they're moving next door and this guy saw my ads and he wants to do business with you. And that's, you know, for those that are out there looking to grow their small business, um, drive some new revenue through raise that bottom line, like, listen to what Al is saying, you know, just like you need to have a plan to prospect and and fill your pipeline with leads and brand new customers and whatnot. That's great. But make sure you are deliberately spending time taking care of the people that already spend their money with you. Yep. It's Uh, prior coming to racing junk. I've I've heard like, Oh, the only, 
The only time I heard from that individual is when it was time for a renewal, you know, right? And I could have done that with you many times. I could have said, here's your six-month renewal, uh, you know, whatever. I, you know, I call you every once in a while. I let you know what's going on. I, I want to hear feedback from you. And, and that's why we continue to do business because, you see, there's a value working with me uh, as an individual, learning the business that you handle, and also the value, you know, doing business with Internet Brands and Racing Junkies. And that's, you know, they're, they're in, again, you know, most organizations, and I know this because I talked to a lot of them, they don't have a plan where anybody is spending time with the existing customers, you know, and, and it's from a, a dollars and cents standpoint, it's easy money. It's a lot easier to be in touch with the customer or the client on somewhat regular basis right. Then if, yeah. if you're selling a term agreement for service or, or memberships or maintenance or advertising, okay, I got their money. It's, they got a six month agreement. And I'm going to put a note in the calendar in five months and 23 days, I'm going to call them and say, the agreement's about up, pay me again. Like it, that doesn't work. And it's, it, or, or it does until your com- a, a competitor comes along with, uh, equal product and better service. Well, you know, the thing you have to do also is keep your client up to date with the industry, what you do, uh, specials, um, what other uh, industries are doing like themselves. Hey, did you know that XYZ, is, XYZ company is doing this? Let's talk about maybe, a, you know, a, a campaign that we could do similar at XYZ. So the more you stay in touch with your customers, even just like an FYI information, email, uh, text, whatever, the more you're in front of them all the time. In, in that, you know, I, I had kind of removed myself from a lot of our, our brick and mortar um, in-person service providing. Like I, I had staff that was doing that in my organization. And I had gotten lax with making sure that the staff was doing the things that I would do, which is follow up right. with customers before it's time for them to spend money again. And we lost a, a long-term customer that was one of my, it was one of my clients. So it was somebody I brought in and I called and I, I said, Hey, Joe, I'm like, I, you've been gone. What, what's, what's going on? Where are you? Are you okay? Like, I was genuinely concerned. And uh, he said, no, I'm fine. You know, I'm like, well, what's, you know, what's the deal? And he's like, you know, right. he's like, things weren't, weren't working the way that I thought. And your staff wasn't really asking me if I was happy. They weren't checking on me, whatever. And I had this, you know, I had a 12 month agreement with you guys and that 12 month expired. And I debated about coming back in and I had stuff with kids, whatever. And then some friends at work said, Hey, we're, you know, this is what I'm, I'm doing. And, and, uh, I just went with them. So it, you know, it was, it, it, it cost me money. It cost us a relationship and it was a, it was a failure on my part to make sure that my staff understood how I did things, why I did things. And then that they were actually doing that because that individual never, like he should have kept spending his money with us. Uh, we failed. And he didn't care if he spent more. No. Because that particular that particular salesperson or whatever that company was came back and showed a value that how can I help you? Not just give me the order or not give me the renewal. 
Right. Which is why it's so important to do things the way you are. And I would encourage people like we've, we've built systems for companies that do this. Like we can teach them how to do the sales and advertising. And we do that, but we've also built, sometimes I'll call it a customer retention system. Like if, if whatever their buy frequency is, you, before it's time to buy again, you better be in front of them making sure that, you know, what if you sold them the wrong thing? Or to right. your point, like, what if you have a new offering? So there's a new advertising avenue and maybe they're struggling for business. Well, if you, you're following up like you do and you throw it out there like, hey, this, is, this for your business makes sense. We've done this with other companies. This will really help you out. You could really help them. You know, they might not be in a position to buy that particular item, service, product, whatever, but at least you gave them the suggestion. You gave them something that you think might work. And who knows what can happen when the, their budget becomes available or if they have some extra money and say, you know, tell me more about that particular program. Right. And, it, and I think th those conversations don't happen if we don't have a, a deliberate system in place to do that. And I, I've never used Salesforce. Um, I used something in the 90s and early 2000s called ACT and then ACT 2000. And now I've got a yeah. cloud-based software. Um, but I would put that in there. I mean, I, I would put in my, my planning. If I talk to Al today, I would have an email and a phone call and then a meeting followed up if I knew what my travel schedule was. And I would, sure. I would have all of that automatic. So when I open my calendar, it's like, call Al. Send Al an email, call Al because you're going to be in Detroit and you need to put him on your swing through Detroit next week. Even if you yeah. weren't, you weren't going to be buying anything. I still need, I still knew that if I follow up with them when they do need product, service, whatever, I'm going to be top of mind. And if we, if we're currently supplying you and we screw something up, I'm going to hear about it right away. I'm not going to hear about it after we lost the job. Or even if they didn't buy from you, you know, you were passing through the last five minutes. Um, I've always, when I go see a lot of my clients now, um, I stop and I bring donuts. I know it doesn't sound like a big deal, but, um, you know, you, you came there first to maybe, you know, enjoy the breakfast and then talk business afterwards. Right. And and it, it's appreciated. And, and I would do stuff like that when I was physically calling on customers too, because, or potential customers. And I would follow up. Like I used to go to Detroit every two to three weeks. And I had people in my database that it would pop up when I was going to Detroit to call. And even though they hadn't bought, I would call and say, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be in the area. This is what we do. I know you already know this because I talked to you and and I, sometimes I would say, hey, if you don't want me to call you anymore, I, I won't call and I won't email. And some of them would be like, yeah, you know what, we've, we've got our, our supply chain solid. Uh, we're not moving the business. And sometimes I would have guys, they would, they would be like, yeah, that's fine. You can follow up. Or, and sometimes, yeah, that's fine. You can follow up. And I am available to see you next week. And like the first time that happened, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I've been asking to just – physically meet for like a year and this guy's letting me in. So, you know, some, you know, you don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. You know, you don't want to just try once and that's it. Unless the guy says, 
you know, I'm fine. I'm done. You know, we're okay. You know, you got to move on, but uh, you know, just try to uh, follow up, you know, every once in a while with people. And that, and, and that goes back to your, your car purchase. Um, and I think automobiles are a great, it's like when I was buying my one sales vehicle, I knew I wanted a Pontiac Bonneville and I knew that because I was spending a lot of time on the road and for my low back, the seats in that generation Bonneville was most comfortable. So uh, Ford could have had a great product back then. It could have been Mercury, Lincoln. It could have been Buick or whatever. And I looked at the Buicks and they didn't fit my back right. So no matter what anybody said, and I told people, I'm like, I would, you know, some dealers had more than one brands and they'd be like, well, you want to look at, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's Pontiac or nothing. Like I, I, I sat in all of them and it, it just, it's not comfortable for my back and I'm going to be living in this thing. So it's, oh, it's I know. comfortable. I'm not buying. And it, if, if they kept pushing on me, they lost me. Um, so there's, you know, and the other thing that happened with the car experience I had, uh, I, I sold for a, a composite company. So we had a few hundred thousand square feet under roof of manufacturing. And I was able to do everything in manufacturing, which by design they had me do because I was more effective in sales. But one day I'm in my work clothes from the factory. So I changed out of my, my three button collar shirt, my khaki right. pants. I was in the factory at the end of the day left. I was going to be looking for new cars that night. I pulled into a dealership and nobody would come out and talk to me because I'm in these like, don't make the mistake of, of stereotyping. You shouldn't do that to anybody, but don't judge your potential customer. Like in your case, you could have somebody that they could be one of the top restoration shops in the country. And that owner might be in there doing his craft. Like it's not even a trade at that point. It's craftsmanship. He's not going to be in a, in a suit and tie, you know, and, and not at all. And that could be the guy for one, that shop and two, possibly that entire industry. So be wary of, of misjudging your, your potential customers. And we, we would battle that in our brick and mortar. I, I would have to tell my staff that I'm like, listen, you, you don't know somebody's reason for making a purchase. Until you understand their why, you can't understand why some, yeah, you can't understand why somebody's going to spend money they don't have to do something. If their reason's strong enough, their need's strong enough, their why is strong enough, whereas you would look at it as something that they, they don't have the money to waste, in their book, that might be the most important thing. So don't, don't write them off. Let them tell you their story back to your relationship stuff and, and, and let them, state what their wants and needs and their why is. And then if you got the solution, show it to them, but don't write them off. Well, they can't afford it. No, especially in the industry I am now. So, you know, we, we have the ability to work with almost any kind of budget uh, with the advertising. So sometimes I get guys, I start guys off, you know, at, you know, $200 a month. Next thing I know, they're spending $4,000 a month on advertising with us. And, and, and exactly. And you don't know. So you got to build that relationship, understand their, their business and what they're doing, and then and not behave like a, a money-driven only salesperson. <laughs> right. Now, now, what 
given all of your experience, what do you think, like, and I do this with everybody, and this is the one thing that I do share in advance before we do a webcast. Like, what are your top three must-dos in business? If you're going to tell our sales as they relate to business. Right. Um, I've always learned if I get a solid lead, if I get a, you know, hey, call Bob Smith, or if I get an, you know, email inquiry, you got to follow up within seconds, minutes afterward. You can't sit on that because that individual might be looking at somebody else, a particular product. I don't care what it is. So, you know, follow up on your, on all your leads, especially a, a good solid lead. Listen to the client, uh, learn his, you know, his likes, learn how to connect with it. You know, their individual, um, like I said, know the business, always follow up. You need to bring a value to the particular business. That's the biggest thing. Why they need to do business with you. And it could be doing business with competition. If the competition is doing business with you, they need to find out why now I need to be with you with that particular client, if you know what I'm saying. So those are kind of a lot of my, you know, dues. Don't, don't, wait for, don't wait for the phone to ring. That's the bottom line. Don't wait for the customer to call you. You always need to be one step ahead. Okay. Any other don'ts? I, mean, I got a few don'ts. Uh, yeah, just just a few. You always want to, don't hesitate. You want to be the solution, whatever you're selling, you want to be the solution provider. Um, don't always bring up the competition. Um, you always want to kind of let the competition speak for themselves. You want to talk about how you can bring more value again, back to value to doing business with them. Don't be ashamed to not know the customer's business. Like I said before, you can always learn it, especially now. You can Google what they do and what they make and, you know, designs and stuff like that. You know, you need to be their trusted advisor. You know, don't go in thinking that you're going to get the order. Even though where I am now, I'm usually, you know, 99.9%. You can't go there out. You have to go in, learn the business, learn your customer, then the orders will come to you. So back to that relationship thing, like, and I'm taking notes as you're talking. Um, so back to that relationship thing, you know, you need to behave like you've got to earn the business and, and make that investment in building the relationship. I think yeah, you, looking at your, one thing you said, and, and nobody has mentioned this, uh, don't mention your competitors. I, I that's huge. I, I, that is so significant. Like if you're in a, in a conversation, you're presenting your organization, what you can do for a, a potential customer, how you can solve their problem. I don't know how your competitor works into that solution. Yet a right. lot of people bring them up. Well, you know, they do this. Well, they may not even have known that company existed. You just told them. You hit that right on the head. You know, and, and being an industry that I am now with the advertising, with the internet, you know, um, sales, we had advertised, our biggest competition years ago were, were magazines, were, were books on the shelf. All those particular manufacturers, or I should say, all the um, book providers have gone away. And, you know, the, the book provider, you would spend a fortune to advertise in a magazine just for a half a page, a quarter of a page, whatever. And you really never got a, you didn't know what the, 
you've got your bang for your buck, if you know what I'm saying. If they made 600,000 copies in a magazine, they could have thrown away 300,000. So you never knew. Now with the way we do advertising online, you can get to see everything. But it's a turn, it's a 360, because now I'm getting the magazines coming to me to help drive their business to bring new subscribers to, to subscribe to their new magazines that are out there. It, it's crazy. It's crazy um, it, how much that has changed. And, and I, have, I have done ad buys in, in magazines, in print, and they're expensive. And, and it was one and done. You know, like it, you know, there were times where we bought a full page or, or two pages, a two-page spread for an ad. And, yeah, they would give you their print rate, but you had no idea. Like you said, well, we, you know, we print 600,000. But how many, how many get in somebody's hands? And and then like what happens yeah. after that? Uh, I fought that with with our brick and mortar, with the the phone company and the phone books. Yeah, and that was the big. I was going to just bring that up. The phone book. Yep. I bought the last phone book ad I bought was in 07. and I bought it because the sales lady was awesome. Like, and I even tried to hire. Her. But she was she was awesome. So she was probably happily making a good living with the phone company and on her way out. You know, she, was, mm-hmm. she was older. She was probably in her 50s, maybe even 60s. So I bought and I told her, I'm like, I'm going to do this for one year because you're phenomenal, but I probably won't buy it next year. And I never bought another ad. And I sold that business in 19. So for... Mm-hmm. All in 11 years, I never put an ad, I, I never had a phone book listing again that I paid for. And it had zero impact on my business. Yeah. And you couldn't, you couldn't judge unless you asked them, you know, how many, how'd you hear about us? Where, or where did you hear about us? Uh, well, we advertised in, you know, these seven different books and a phone book and uh, the restaurant. And we, you have to ask all these questions now with, you know, internet advertising with the way you have with, you know, storefronts and, and being able to manage your account, you can see how many people click your account, how many people saw your ads and stuff like that. And, it, and, and there's so much value in that, that we didn't have from the more traditional print media. I mean, we would, mm-hmm. we would put things like call and ask for penny. So if right. somebody called and asked for penny, I knew, knew where it came from, where the ad buy yeah. was, you know, and, and, and then I, at, at the same time I had to, um manage staff and say listen if somebody calls and asks for penny here's the procedure don't say penny doesn't work here <laughs> work here right yep um so that that's huge and that's back to that system piece which is uh like you got to have a system you got to think through that you you need to if you're going to put something like penny in the ad you need to make sure the staff knows and that goes back right. to, so you got to have this system to follow up with your existing customers. You need to have a system if you've got some new sales effort that involves, and I don't, mm-hmm. I can say there's limited cases, we call it retro marketing where print media makes sense. But if you're going to do something like call and ask for Penny, everybody that works there needs to know that, no, there really isn't some new employee named Penny, but if somebody mm-hmm. calls asking for Penny, here's what we do. And, and I yeah. think, you know, you guys, uh, from the ad buy side of things, you do have the data, you do have the analytics. It allows you to make a data-driven 
decision on where to spend advertising or marketing dollars, which is significant. And then also, you know, you, you have the follow-up where you, you do reach out to me sometimes and you're just like, Hey, how's it going? Um, here's your numbers for last month. And you, you'll follow up right. and ask how things are going And And that's, you know, there's, there's an opportunity to keep a customer right there and it doesn't take a lot of effort. So yeah. if, if, if people want to reach out to you um, in regards to internet brands or racingjunk.com is easy. Just go to racingjunk.com. But if somebody's watching this or tuning in, what's the best way to have them reach out? All right. So the best way to reach out to me, um, you can probably get a hold of me at um, A. Liebman. That's L-I-E-B-M-A-N-N at internetbrands.com. Uh, or you can also email me at jerseyfordguy at AOL.com. Um, I keep mentioning internet brands. A lot of people um, are not familiar with internet brands. Internet brands purchased Racing Junk about seven years ago. Um, at the same time, they also bought a, a little company called WebMD for about $3.4 billion. Uh, internet brands is probably one of the world's largest internet brand, internet holding sites, everything from law firms to medical um, websites. Uh, they have 125 message chat boards. So if you're a car guy, it could be BMW Forum. It could be Harley-Davidson Forum. It could be LS Forum. They own all of those. They own Cars Direct. Uh, so it's a very, like you said before, um, you know, analytic-driven business. So, you know, we want to make sure that our, our customers, regardless of where we are, and we're located all over the world, how we can drive value to their accounts. In 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 there too, um, you have the data. I mean, it, it it's 2021. Your 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 business. If if you've been in business for 40 years, 40 years ago, your business was running on data. If even if you didn't know it and you didn't know how to collect right. it, and you didn't know what it meant. Um, today, the RacingJunk.com, the internet brands and their family of companies they're going to give you the data and that's going to help you make that decision. You can look right at, you can look at the traffic and see if, if what you're doing makes sense. The other thing that's nice and, and for the non-car people, some of this is going to sound like a foreign language, but it's going to apply to your industry too. You can go find that niche market. So the LS forums, you know, the, the LS is a version of the small block Chevrolet engine. Yep. So if you're making products that that market consumes, well, you can go right to where that market is consuming content. You can go right to the forums that those people that are interested in that are hanging out. You can buy ads and then you can look at the analytics and look at your sales and you can make a data-driven decision. Um, and, and same thing with some of the other internet brand companies, no matter what your industry is, you can go to the niche where all of the people that are into that niche are hanging out and you can put your ad right in front of them. And then you can get data on a monthly basis to see how it's working. You lay that against, and this is what we do. We look at that relative uh, incoming, you know, is the phone ringing? Are forms being filled out on the website? Are we getting emails? Is business growing? If the answer is yes, we can typically tie it back to where we bought the ads today. And, and every business should be doing that. And again, you know, being being you know an internet driven advertising, we can change 
uh, content, we can change, you know, graphics, we can change creative on the fly. So, you know, we can change, we have customers that we change ads every month in different banners all the time. So, you know, when you're searching on a website and regardless, I don't care if it's an internet brand's website, it could be anything. And you see the banners on the left, on the right, on the bottom, on the top. Uh, a lot of those are what's called affiliate banners. And you kind of, you wonder why you're, when you're on a website, why is that Chevy dealer coming up where you live? Or why are you seeing this ad for, uh, you know, snuggle detergent? It's because that's what's being driven that in that particular area where you are. And unlike the print magazines where, you know, we, we would do that with some local print ad buys. Well, our distribution, mm -hmm. well, we, well, they would, they would say, often they would say we print 18,000. Well, right. distribution was really 12,000. And then bundles of 100 or 200 at a throw would go to businesses and public lobby locations, whatever. And who knows who saw them. But once that one ad was done, you know, you have that ad. That's it. You, if you want a new ad, you start over and, and you pay again. Whereas Every month. Yep. On the Internet side of things. And, and I know this because we've reached out and made changes with you. Um, not terribly often, but we've done it when we needed to. You can make a change and you're not obligated to an ad that maybe isn't working or maybe it's dated and you need to change it. So I think that's significant. Significant, yes. Um, Al, I think I, I've taken plenty of your time. Is there anything <laughs> else you would like to add? I think this was awesome. No, you know, um, I always tell people, you know, enjoy your enjoy what you do in your job. Don't let it be a job. Don't come home and be aggravated at your, your wife, your family, your kids. Try to enjoy what you do in your life because life is too short. If you like our content, be sure to subscribe to our channel. Leave us a comment below. Also, be sure to check us out on your favorite podcast provider. See the links in the description below.